0: Section 37 of The Martyrdom of Man by Winwood Reed This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Chapter 4. Intellect. Part 1 That region of the universe, which is visible to mortal eyes, has been named the solar system. It is composed of innumerable stars, and each star is a white-hot sun, the centre and sovereign of a world. Our own Sun is attended by a company of cold, dark globes, revolving round it in accordance with the law of gravitation. They also rotate like joints before the fire, turning first one side, and then the other to the central light. The path that is traced by the outermost planet is the limit of the Sun's domain, which is too extensive to be measured into miles. If a jockey, mounted on a winner of the derby, had started when Moses was born, and had galloped ever since at full speed, he would be, by this time, about half the way across. Yet this world seems large to us, only because we are so small. It is merely a drop in the ocean of space. The stars, which we see on a fine night, are also suns as important as our own. And so vast is the distance which separates their worlds from ours that a flash of lightning would be years upon the road. These various solar systems are not independent of one another, they are members of the same community. They are sailing in order round a point to us unknown. Our own sun, drawing with it the planets in its course, is spinning furiously upon its axis and dashing through space at four miles a second and not only is the solar system an organ of one gigantic form, it has also grown to what it is, and may still be considered in its youth. As the body of a plant or animal arises from a fluid alike in all its parts, so this world of ours was once a floating, fiery cloud, a nebula or mist, the molecules of which were kept asunder by excessive heat. But the universe is pervaded by movement and by change, there came a period when the heat declined, and when the atoms, obeying their innate desires, rushed to one another, and, concentrating, formed the sun, which at first almost filled the solar world. But as it cooled, and as it contracted, and as it rotated, and as it revolved, it became a sphere in the centre of the world, and it cast off pieces which became planets satellites attended stars and they also cast off pieces which became satellites to them thus the earth is the child and the moon the grandchild of the sun when our planet first came out into the world it was merely a solar fragment a chip of the old star and the other planets were in a similar condition but these sun balls were separated from one another and from their parent form by oceans of ether A kind of attenuated air, so cold that frost itself is fire in comparison. The sun, burning always in this icy air, is gradually cooling down, but it parts slowly with its heat on account of its enormous size. Our little earth, cooled quickly, shrank in size. It once extended to the moon, and finally went out, from a globe of glowing gas It became a ball of liquid fire enveloped in a smoky cloud. When first we are able to restore its image and examine its construction, we find it composed of zones or layers in a molten state, arranged according to their weight, and above it we find an atmosphere also divided into layers. Close over the surface, vapour of salt was suspended in the air. Next. A layer of dark smoky carbonic acid gas next oxygen and nitrogen and vapor of water or common steam within the sphere as it cooled and changed chemical bodies sprang from one another rushed to and fro combined with terrible explosions while in the variegated atmosphere above gas hurricanes arose and flung the elements into disorder so sped the earth roaring and flaming through the sky leaving behind it a fiery track sweeping round the sun in its oval course year followed year century followed century epoch followed epoch then the globe began to cool upon its surface flakes of solid matter floated on the molten sea which rose and fell in flaming tides towards a hidden and benighted moon the flakes caked together and covered the ball with a solid sheet, which was upraised and cracked by the tidal waves beneath, like thin ice upon the Arctic seas. In time it thickened, and became firm, but subterranean storms often ripped it open in vast chasms, from which masses of liquid lava spouted in the air, and fell back upon the hissing crust. Everywhere heaps of ashes were thus formed and the earth was seamed with scars and gaping wounds. When the burning heat of the air had abated, the salt was condensed and fell like snow upon the earth and covered it ten feet thick. The Atlantic and Pacific oceans, lying overhead in the form of steam, descended in one great shower, and so the primeval sea was formed. It was dark, warm, and intensely salt At first it overspread the surface of the globe, then volcanic islands were cast up, and, as the earth cooled downwards to its core, it shriveled into folds as an apple in the winter when its pulp dries up. These folds and wrinkles were mountain ranges and continents appearing above the level of the sea. Our planet was then divided into land and water in the same proportions as exist at the present time. For, though land is always changing into water, and water is always changing into land, their relative quantities remain the same. The air was black, night was eternal, illumined only by lightning and volcanoes. The earth was unconscious of the sun's existence. Its heat was derived from the fire within, and was uniform from pole to pole. But the crust thickened, the inner heat could no longer be felt upon the surface. The atmosphere brightened a little, and the sun's rays penetrated to the earth. From the shape, the altitude, and the revolutions of our planet, resulted an unequal distribution of solar heat, and to this inequality the earth is indebted for the varied nature of its aspects and productions. Climate was created. Winds arose in the air. Currents in the deep. The sun sucked up the waters of the sea, leaving the salt behind. Rain clouds were formed and fresh water bestowed upon the land. The underground fires assisted the planet's growth by transforming the soils into crystalline structures and by raising the rocks thus altered to the surface, by producing volcanic eruptions, hot springs and other fiery phenomena, but the chief architect and decorator of this planet was the sun. When the black veil of the earth was lifted, when the sunlight entered the turbid waters of the primeval sea, an interesting event took place. The earth became with young. In water there are always floating about a multitude of specks which are usually minute fragments of the soil. But now appeared certain specks which, though they resembled the others, possessed certain properties Of a very peculiar kind. First, they brought forth little specks, precise copies of themselves. They issued their own duplicates. And secondly, they performed in their own persons an elaborate chemical operation. Imbibing water and air, they manufactured those elements with the assistance of the solar rays into the compounds of which their own bodies were composed giving back to the water those components which they did not require. And then appeared other little specks which swallowed up the first and manufactured them into the compounds more complex still of which they, the second comers, were composed. The first were embryonic plants. The second were embryonic animals. They were both alike in appearance. Both repeated themselves, or reproduced, in the same manner. The difference between them was this, that the plants could live on raw air and water, the animals could live only on those elements when prepared by sunlight in the body of the plant. The office of vegetation upon the earth is therefore of a culinary nature, and the plant, when devoured, gives the animal that heat which is its life, just as coal, a cake of fossil vegetation, gives heat to the apartment in which it is consumed but this heat whether it lies hidden in the green and growing plant or in its black and stony corpse was at first acquired from the sun glorious apollo is the parent of us all animal heat is solar heat a blush is a stray sunbeam life is bottled sunshine and death the silent-footed butler who draws out the cork those dots of animated jelly without definite form or figure, swimming unconsciously in the primeval sea, were the ancestors of man. The history of our race begins with them and continues without an interruption to the present day. A splendid narrative, the materials of which it is for science to discover, the glories of which it is for poets to portray. Owing to the action of surrounding forces, the outer parts of the original jelly dot became harder and more solid than the parts within, and so it assumed the shape of the cell or sphere. Its food consisted of microscopic fragments of vegetable matter imbibed through its surface or outer rind, such portions as were not made up, being expelled or excreted in the same manner as they were taken in. There was no difference of parts, except that the outside was solid and the inside soft. The creature's body was its hand, its stomach, and its mouth. When it had lived a certain time, it burst and died, liberating as it did so a brood of cells which had slowly ripened within. But sometimes these new cells, instead of being detached when they were born, remained cohering to the parent cell, thus making the animal consist of several cells instead of only one. In the first case, The process is termed reproduction. In the second case, it is termed growth. But the two operations are in reality the same. Growth is coherent reproduction. Reproduction is detached growth. Time goes on. Our animal is now a cell republic enclosed by a wrapper of solidified and altered cells. Next, in this wrapper, a further change takes place. It protrudes into limbs. A gaping mouth appears. The limbs, or tentacles, grasp the food and put it within the mouth. Other limbs sprout forth and carry their owner from place to place. In the meantime, the cells within are also changed. Their partitions are removed. The many walled apartments are converted into galleries or tubes, along which the food is conveyed from one part of the body to another. These tubes are filled with blood, pumped backwards and forwards by the heart. The muscles, which move the outer limbs, are equipped with nerves, the movements of which are directed from centres in the spine and brain. The functions of life are thus divided, and each department has an organ of its own. The reproductive function is divided farther still. Two separate elements are formed one prepares and ejects the sperm cell which the other receives and unites to the germ cell at a later period in the history of life this arrangement is supplanted by another more complicated still the two elements no longer coexist in the same form and thus reproduction can only be effected by means of cooperation between two distinct and independent individuals How important a fact is this, will presently appear. These various inventions of nature, so far as we have gone, the limbs of locomotion and prehension, the heart with its vessels, the brain with its nerves, and the separation of the sexes, all occurred in the marine period of the Earth's life, in the dark, deep-sea womb. Similar changes, but inferior in degree, occurred in the vegetable world. The shapeless specks became one-celled. They were next strung together like a chain of beads. They then grew into seaweed and aqueous plants, which floated about and finally obtained a footing on the land. But they dwelt long ages on the earth before their sex appeared. There were no flowers in that primeval world, for the flower is a sign of love. Gigantic mosses and tree ferns clothed the earth. And reproduce themselves by scattering cells around animals followed their prey the plants from the water to the land and became adapted for terrestrial life at that period the atmosphere was thickened with carbonic acid gas and was more pestilential than the black hole of Calcutta only reptiles with sluggish and imperfect respiratory organs could breathe in such an air but that fatal gas was bred to the vegetable world which took the carbon into its body and thus the atmosphere was purified in time the vast masses of carbon which the plants took out of the air in order to allow a higher class of animal to appear upon the stage were buried in the earth hardened into coal and were brought in by the author in the second act now on the coal matter being thus removed The air was bright and pure, the sun glowed with radiance and force, the reptiles were converted into birds and quadrupeds of many kinds, insects rising from the land and from the water hummed and sparkled in the air, the forests were adorned with flowers and cheered with song, and, as the periods rolled on, the inhabitants of the earth became more complex in their structure, more symmetrical in form, and more advanced in mental power, till, at last, the future lord of the planet himself appeared upon the stage. The first act of the drama is here concluded, but the division is merely artificial. In nature there is no entr'acte, no curtain falls. Her scenes resemble dissolving views. The lower animals pass into man by soft, slow, insensible gradations. We must now consider the question, how and why have these marvellous changes taken place? How and why did the primeval jelly dots assume the form of the cell or sphere? It has been already shown that continual changes occurred in the primeval atmosphere and in the primeval sea. These changes, acting upon animal life, produced changes in its composition, for, as animals are the result, and expression, of the conditions under which they are born, it is natural to suppose that when these conditions are changed, the animals should also change. When the conditions of life are abruptly altered and instantaneously transformed, the animals are, of course, destroyed. But when, as is usually the case, the changes are gradual, the animals are slowly modified into harmony with the neighbouring conditions. The primeval speck of life being acted upon, by a variety of forces, became varied in its structure and as these forces varied from period to period, the organisms also varied. Complexity of parts results from complexity of environment. Multiformity of circumstance produces multiformity of species. The development of animal life, from the homogeneous to the heterogeneous, From the simple to the complex, from uniformity to multiformity, is caused by the development of the earth itself from a monotonous water-coloured globe with one aspect, one constitution and one temperature, to this varied earth on which we dwell, where each foot of land differs in some respect from the one beside it. The modifications on modifications of the animal are due to the modifications on modifications of the medium in which and on which it lived. And this operation of nature is hastened and facilitated by a law which, in itself, is murderous and cruel. The earth is overpopulated upon principle. Of the animals that are born, a few only can survive. There is not enough food for all. Nature scrambles what there is among the crowd. If any animal possesses an advantage, however slight, over those with whom he competes in this food scramble or struggle for existence, he will certainly survive, and if he survives, then someone else, so gentle nature orders it, must die. This law of competition becomes itself a force by developing slight variations along lines of utility into widely different and specific forms. End of section 37